October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. But whether it's the Russia investigation or yet another corporate data breach, we know you hear about cybersecurity almost every day. Luckily, Kimball has a resident expert on all things cyber, Amanda Sharp Parker. She's a professor and the coordinator of the Homeland Security Program, and she answered all of our questions about the web, including how do we protect our identity, what exactly is the dark web, and is hacking as glamorous as it looks in the movies? I'm Kate Stoneburner with co-host Billy Liggett, and this rhymes with orange. Well, I recently discovered that October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. That's correct. Which I did not know was a thing. <laughs> um, it says that that observance was started pretty recently, considering the age of the internet, in 2004. And that was around the same time as you were working on your thesis. Um, I believe that was on terrorist use of social media and internet forums. That was my dissertation in okay. 2016. Gotcha. Um, so in 2006, 2005, I was looking at uh, North Carolina law enforcement preparation mm-hmm. for cyber terrorism. If they were concerned with it at all, if they had any, you know, even idea of what was going on. And really there was just, you know, this kind of it's not going to happen to us mentality, Mm -hmm. which I've seen change in the past decade. Exactly. And that's what I found so fascinating was you were in school working on this thesis. And what did your professors say when you presented it to them? Well, I had, I had people that said at conferences, this isn't a thing. This isn't going to happen. (laughs) You know, I I just remember this one guy arguing with me um, and I was in England and he was just arguing over and over that this possibility was just, it wasn't possible. And now we see it is. Um, recently, within the past week, you know, the threat of cyber crime and cyber attack has surpassed the threat of terrorist attack on the mm. DHS and FBI's. It's number one on their list. So, which is not shocking considering <laughs> we spend half our lives online now. At um, least. Which is sad but true. And it's really cool that you are so on the forefront of that. Um, and in 2004, 2005, it seems like social media was brand new. I think MySpace was probably still a thing. Yes, it was. (laughs) How did that really kind of cause this phenomenon to take off? Well, you know, I didn't really think about, um, I didn't think about social media at that time because it wasn't such, it wasn't as big of a platform. Yeah, there was MySpace Mm -hmm. and there were instant messaging, but it wasn't, you know, something that consumed lives like it does now with so many different platforms. And it wasn't until around, you know, 2013, 2014 that we started to see this change where, radicalization was happening online because of social media forums and the ability to communicate, you know, um, and communicate anonymously or under mm-hmm. pseudonyms or whatever. So, I mean, it's really just exploded the connectivity between um, extremists and who they're trying to recruit. Right. And it seems also that it's, maybe this is wrong, it seems more private now because everyone has their own profile. And back then I, I picture chat rooms and forums and things where... Everything was open. Yeah. yeah. And now that is not the case. So it's not. But you can still make things where it's public. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even if a individual is trying to, you know, put propaganda out there and uses a public forum to do so or, you know, spam um, links and things like that and they get shut down, they just open up another page. Exactly. So, I mean, there's really no way of stopping that. Yikes. Was this just a case where you were thinking, man, I've just, I really have to have a good paper. I'm just going to come up with something. Or did you actually see this coming? Like, what, what, um, it seems like you were way ahead of the game here. So, what, what tipped you off that the internet could become breeding ground for terrorists or terrorist organizations. Right. So some of the, um, pretty much after Boston bombing, Boston bombing was pretty much a traditional 
type of radicalization where they were going back over to Chechnya and Kazakhstan, um, even though they were living here in citizens of the United States. But after the Boston bombing, we started to see where there were individuals in the United States that were becoming self-radicalized without any travel. And that was a big deal because one of the things we would look for when we were trying to detect um, involvement with extremism was the travel, whether they were going overseas or, you know, where they were going and who they were communicating with. But after, you know, with the, um, the Pulse nightclub shooting and the San Bernardino shooting um, and then subsequent attacks after that, we saw there wasn't travel involved. The, the radicalization was happening from an online setting. And so it changed the way that we looked or tried to pattern how to track extremist, um, um, you know, getting new members. In the past, I guess the government could just, well, this guy's flown to Saudi Arabia. He's on our mm-hmm. watch. And, and so the internet, I guess, just made it all so much easier. It so did. much, Yeah. Yeah. My dissertation looked at, um, 72 cases of individuals here in the United States that are being currently being charged with providing material support to ISIS. So -hmm. specifically to ISIS. Um, And that number has grown obviously since 2016, but out of those 72, only five had traveled overseas. Um, And the rest, it was all, what I did was I did a qualitative examination of their posts and their chat room um, and their emails, anything that the courts had access to to see, you know, what they were talking about. And it was looking at those patterns of radicalization online. How do I hide this from my parents? How do I, if I were to travel, where would I go? What is the best method to transfer money? And yeah. anything like that. But it was all done via chat rooms. So they weren't having to leave the comfort of their house. So if someone wasn't watching their, or tracking them online, they would have no idea what was going on. So let's just jump up forward to now, um, you know, the Russia investigation with the supposed or um, alleged election tampering and just Mm -hmm. it's all anybody talks about now and I imagine you're just sitting here today just taking it all in and saying and just coming up with all this new classroom content and information but (laughs) so so we all sit back and we watch it and you know it for the layman like me this is all we're it's we don't get everything that's happening, don't but get it at all. but you're you're a professional in this field, so seeing everything that's going on, is specific, specifically with Russia, just what do you take from this? Okay, so it was it was really interesting to me that you know prior to the election, people were saying, oh, these machines can't be tampered with. Well, mm. basically anything that is online can be tampered with, um, and so that's something we have to we have to recognize. Mm. Um, if you look at the United States cyber defense, it is not that great compared to other countries. So the fact could, you know, Russian propaganda have been used by infiltrating our social media and putting things up, it could. How we quantify that, you really can't. You know, if we have a cyber attack on a bank, and I'm going to use this example that um, one of my seminar speakers um, this week used, but he said if we have an attack on a bank, you can quantify how much money was taken, right? But if you're talking about trying to change individuals' perception, you can't quantify that. How much does an ad or a post, you know, affect an individual is on that individual. And so we can't quantify the amount of, um, you know, the amount of damage that was done just by multiple postings. Yeah. Which is absurd. It's, it's, it's (laughs) mind blowing to me. Just, you know, they've, they've found a way to, to, um, and I say they, they're very broad, they, but 
you know, this is the easiest way to get to us now mm-hmm. is, is, is through memes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I have to, I have to give credit to Mr. Matt DeVoe, um, who is, uh, founder of the terrorism research center and fusion X, which is a private cybersecurity firm, mm-hmm. because, you know, he was saying, you know, that there are multiple things that are posted and, um, he was talking about, I want to say it was, I want to say it was the French election where basically what the parties did was they put out all this false propaganda because they heard all this other false propaganda was coming out. And so they said, huh. we put out false propaganda too. So Just to you, counter it. Yeah. So figure out which is real and which is fake as try as a way to try to, you know, um, even it out. A yeah. Little bit, or to, for people to say, well, I don't really know what to believe anymore, but yeah, the way that, you know. An individual can be influenced by what they hear, what they're reading, even a picture. I mean, you guys have seen pictures online, right? And it's like, it shows one side of President Trump doing something and, you know, the left is bashing him. Then it shows Mm -hmm. the other side and the right is bashing him just based on the perception of that picture. Same picture. Same picture, different perceptions. And we wonder why we have trust issues. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we know that we're being influenced by everything we say online, I still think that people, when they think of hacking... The first thing that comes to mind is not terrorism or politics, but the data breaches. Sure. Um, how to keep their information private. Um, what would you say are like the biggest threats associated with cybersecurity just to the average American not thinking about politics? Yeah, this is really funny because this is exactly what my speaker talked about two days ago. Okay. And so Perfect. it's passwords, making sure that you have huh. a secure password um, and, you know, not using the same password over and over again. I see the looks on your face. Well, no, the, the, no the, my pro- the problem faces. I have is I have about 30 passwords out there now and they're all similar, but I don't know. I don't know what goes to what anymore. Right. And so there's <laughs> some, there's some apps that you can use that are free where um, you have all your passwords stored, but then there's a main password for that. Yeah. And so you, it will basically you to log into any of your information. You just use that main password um, you can also, you know, um, have double passwords and things like that, but making sure because, you know, if people are trying to, you know, hack into, let's say a bank, mm-hmm. you know, and they get all these people's information, they're going to go with simple passwords first, things like password or ABC. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so if you have something that's just more complex than that, you're going to be in the 5% that they're going to not mess with. Right. So simple things like, um, okay. you know, protecting your information that way, you know, um, not using public Wi-Fi um, Do that a lot. <laughs> or, you know, um, being careful where, where you're plugging in because you never know, you know, what type of virus or whatever could be associated with where you're plugging into. So just making smart choices when you're dealing with that. I mean, yeah. it's it's not no one's immune. I mean, I've had my bank information hacked into, but mm-hmm. if you think about it, for the majority of the time, like the banks reimburse you. Like I've never yeah. actually physically lost anything, right. but so it's more of a nuisance, but being cognizant, because I check my bank twice a day online just to make sure, I mean, I'm very paranoid about that. So I mm-hmm. check it twice a day to make sure there's no random purchases or things like that. So just to be cognizant about. So when you hear about somebody like Target, I think recently had yeah. a, a major security breach and they got customer information what are what are they actually going after um because like you said you get somebody's credit card information that's usually caught or or maybe it's caught and then you're reimbursed but um do i understand that there a lot of people are just going after your 
uh, are they gathering your information to sell to marketers or, or, I mean, what are exactly are they going after with a, with a breach like that? Right. Okay. So, um, when we talk about the internet, there's the surface web that you guys are used to, right? Like, um, Google, any search engine, anything that's on your computer right now. And that's about 15% of our internet. The other 85% is known as the deep web. And that has to be accessed. Oh, I want to know the deep web. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to go into all of that, but um, just real quick. So they, it's you know, it is not illegal to access the deep web, but you do have to have a specialized server. Any intranets or like um, medical systems are all going to be on the deep web because you're not able to publicly access them. So anything that's not publicly accessible is considered to be on the deep web. Cool. Within the deep web, we have dark nets. That's where you get the do 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 do. Yeah. Right. The, yeah. <clears throat> where the illegal behavior. Um, and it, it occurs. And so if you've ever heard of like Silk Road, yeah. um, not the old Silk Road like in history, but the Silk Road that where it was basically an Amazon for drugs and guns and paraphernalia and yeah. any type of illegal activity. Along with that, you could buy credit card information. Huh. Um, and so now some of the stuff on there is a complete hoax or, you know, because everything is done anonymously. Mm-hmm. And so it's through cryptocurrency and, um, funneled through different IP addresses where there is this anonymous factor of the deep web um, and the and the dark nets. But, um, yeah, so taking that and selling that, you know, information, and even if the person gets one purchase out of it before the card is canceled, you know, they're still able to use it. Um, other things they might try to take if they're taking Social Security numbers is to, you know, falsify identities um, and things like that, um, fake passports, fake Social Security cards, fake birth certificates, anything that, you know, um, someone might try to find. Yeah, I, I've, I've never had my online identity stolen. I've had my wallet stolen a few times. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, but I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine just uh, when, when that happens to you, just everything you have to go through, I guess, to fix it. Well, think about it, because I tell my students this, you know, if your wallet is stolen, what do you do? Cancel everything. Cancel everything. And if it's like, a major deal you call the police right, right. Mm-hmm. but if your money online is stolen you don't call the police you call your bank yeah. so there is um you know this ease of access to online crime um because of the lack of law enforcement that gets involved with it and why go rob a bank when you could just infiltrate an entire system just, online <laughs> see that's I mean, the thing though when you honestly just infiltrate a system and I think maybe I'm not trying to put anybody's. This is disclaimer. This is not. Here's some ideas, <laughs> but it's just a fact of the matter. So, I mean, Kate and I were talking before this, and I liked what you brought up about the the hackers being almost. Well, you ask her about that. They're, they're just almost, cool. Okay, here's yeah. the thing. We heard the phrase dark web, and we were like, "Oh, tell me more." <laughs> it's sexy, right? It's sexy. It is, and I think that we've done this. Like, since the 60s, with, like, I was thinking about the movie War Games, which I think I used to I watch I show it to my, my class, yes. Yeah, so War Games, um, even the social network, like, that kind of glorifies hackers a little bit. And Sneakers. Yeah. I, was telling about, yeah. I was telling her about Mr. Robot before. Yeah. Right? I had never heard of that until the other day, like, when I was, we had the speaker here two huh. days ago, and I went home and started watching it, like, great yesterday. Sh- like, yes. Great show, yeah. Yeah, and he said that um, the first season is spot on. Like, people he knows are wow. basically just like that. It's the Dude, guy who so plays cool. Freddie Mercury in Queen, by the way. It's that guy. Yeah. That's great. It just. It I think, makes he, I think he was also in uh, um, the second Break Breaking Dawn, the Twilight series, whatever. Oh, oh you lost me on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he. I think that he was um, 
the Egyptian vampire that could oh, like shit. move the earth or something. I don't know. That, you know what? Twilight came up. This is totally unrelated. Came up on my Amazon Prime video recommended the other day, and I logged out and was just like, "Well, back nope. to Hulu we go." Yeah, my nine-year-old <laughs> daughter has started watching Twilight, so it's like on oh, all the time. And I'm oh, like, no. "Come on!" My daughter's nine, and she's still in Harry Potter. Are you telling me Twilight's the next step? It might be because we've yes. d- we've done uh, through Harry uh. Potter. I don't know how we got into that. Oh, yeah. The, the <laughs> well, Twilight might not be cool, but hackers are cool. Like, hackers are cool to me. It's just a, it's just a skill that I will never truly understand. The farthest I could get is basic HTML code. And so I think it's kind of hard to picture hackers who are creeps and criminals and just doing it for financial yeah the majority the the majority it's a um it's a hobby it's you know it's a talent that they have that is being developed and so the majority of individuals you know and they don't like to be referred to as hackers you know but they're they're just curious well exactly (laughs) they want to see you know what they can do and look for exploits and so we have white hat hackers um that are the good guy hackers you know So we have white hat, black hat, and gray okay, hat hackers, cool. okay? Um, and so the white hats are the good guys. Very and mad magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and they go into, uh, you know, um, they might be own a legitimate, legitimate corporation, but they'll be hired, paid to hack into um, infrastructure or companies to look for vulnerabilities, to identify the vulnerabilities before the bad guys do so that those vulnerabilities can be patched. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The white hats are given permission to go in and you know mess with the system as cool. much as they can. You have the black hats, right? That are the bad guys. They're the ones that are hacking for money or for personal gain or what we hope will never happen for a terrorist incident, right? Because it does like to hack into our major infrastructures. It does take a lot of talent, um, and that's something that we have not seen yet. Um, I would have thought we would have seen it by now. But we have not. So one of the things that we talk about in the field is that, you know, those that have the talent to do that don't have the intent. And those that have the intent don't have the talent yet. Um, And then to finish up, the gray hat hackers are kind of hackers for hire, where they'll go to the highest bidder, right? So it could be a corporation that brings them in, great, but it could be a bad guy that brings them in. And whoever, you know, is willing to pay them, they're willing to use those services. So. I like those classifications. Are they always as cool as they are in the movies, though? (laughs) No, you know, unfortunately within the field, especially, you know, in Homeland Security, and when we talk about things like trafficking or organized crime or prostitution, you know, or or terrorism, um, cybercrime, there's this glamorization effect where things have to be sexy, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you think um, years ago, I did a project with a colleague of mine looking at cinematic portrayal of prostitutes. And it's like we look, you know, from things like monster to pretty woman, you know, yeah. where this is not the really what happens to most streetwalkers, yeah. right? If working in the field like that. Um, and I've done the same for organized crime, looking at, you know, Goodfellas and how they, it's glamorized, you know, growing up gaudy. And so mm-hmm. a, the same thing with the cyber, the cyber movies and the cyber things is, you know, there there is some truth to it. But again, they are trying to bring an audience in. So there's going to be a glamorization to it. What's really cool about this this past 15 minutes to me is I'm sitting here realizing that you teach a course here, or you teach several courses here at Campbell, and you talk about this stuff all the time with your students, and we have a Homeland Security Department, and 
it, so you're you're telling me this is what you guys talk about all the time. We do. Um, in my <laughs> yeah. in my in my cyber class. Now, there, when we talk about the deep web, and there, you know, I have disclaimers for them. You know, this is not a how to course. <laughs> um, this is so you know what you're going to be dealing with when you go into the field, because right. really within the field of homeland security, and we have just made the cyber course mandatory for the major. It used to be an elective, because everything within homeland security has that cyber element, where there's the connectivity to something, so they have to understand the vulnerability associated with it. The uh, I was here when they started the Homeland Security Department, and have you been here since? I have. Since? I came in. I came in when the program started. So okay. first year. So it's grown exponentially. I mean, talk, when you talk about uh, not only through professors, but your your students have grown too. Um, and I see a lot of students coming in, and this is what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the field and and why this is. Um, and why this is such a growing field and why it's getting so much interest here at Campbell. Well, number one, at Campbell, this is the only four-year program in Homeland Security in the state of North Carolina. So we get a lot of interest not only from in-state but from out-of-state because there's a lot of graduate programs in this field but not that many undergraduates. So you look in New England area, Eastern Kentucky, or you know Campbell if you're going to stay around the East Coast. Um, so that's one of the, one of the main reasons. Um, we have um, really good placement for our graduates. I've actually, you know, I have two graduates that went to UMBC for master's in cybersecurity that are now working in D.C. doing cybersecurity stuff. So we have um, really good placement. Um, it's it's an interesting field. I think, you know, it's sexy to students, but um, we do have students that come in and it's a, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of writing. You have to know how to write. You have to know how to speak. You know, it's not just all I'm out in the field, you know, hunting bad guys. There There is a lot of paperwork, you know, and... We are not training practitioners. We are training academics here. We're giving them the background knowledge that the Department of Homeland Security has identified as necessary for people working in the field. Um, one of the things I will say is that we are um, working very hard to create a cybersecurity minor and out of that minor, a cybersecurity major, hopefully to be implemented fall of next year. That's being hopeful, wow. but uh, yeah. maybe spring. So yeah, definitely has a lot of interest. And when it comes to getting that real world experience, you talked about internships being kind of a required part. They of are the required. Mm-hmm. What kind of internships do those students usually take on? Goodness. I mean, they will do anything from going just home and doing local law enforcement to really putting it out there and working for federal um, agencies. This past summer, I had about 40 interns in the field. I had a student at the SBI, or I had three students at the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigation, one at the FBI. Um, one with U.S. Marshal Service. I've had students with the DEA um, and TSA. Then we have emergency management. We have a lot of students that are very interested in emergency management. And so with that, you know, they'll work private sector or North Carolina emergency management sector. Um, U.S. Postal Service or Postal Inspector, which is a federal agency um, that inspects all mail coming through. So if you think this stuff that people are ordering on the deep web or in the dark nets has to go through the mail, right? And so where is it going? And, you know, it's it's one thing for a, a machine or a drug dog to sniff out drugs that are being sent through the mail or, you know, any type of explosives or things like that. But it's another if you're buying counterfeit money. One of the sites that I found on the, um, the dark net, because I was doing some research um, with FBI approval. Just, you know, <laughs> um, but we were doing some research and one of the sites we found was like, you know, it was $100 to get $500 counterfeit. Um, and it was okay. sent to you in an in an um, an iPhone box. So if you didn't know any better, it was just like it just looked like an iPhone box that was being oh sent through gosh. the mail, right? And so, and then once that happens, that money becomes you know kind of untraceable where to come from. So um, there's a lot with the postal inspector that's um, that can be done. We've had students that worked at cyber centers before, fusion centers. So 
really wherever their interest is, I try to help them find a place that can place them. Uh, Dr. Parker, we are just about out of time, but Kate, I'm looking at your, your notes here and you had a final question here. I <laughs> want to know, I, I want to know what this, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in what the answer is. <laughs> um, in terms of cybersecurity, is there an advantage to Mac or PC? Oh yeah. Um, Mac. <sighs> Sorry, she was gonna say that. Yeah, (laughs) Microsoft is a hot mess. So yeah, so yeah, if you're looking, I mean, which is more, you can secure both. But yeah, there are so many, um, and I and I use PC. So I, I I mean, I I have, but but yeah, if you were, I mean, honestly, yeah, Mac. Mac all the way. All right, I'll consider that for my next phone slash laptop. Well, thank you so much. We are out of time. Thank this you went for very quickly. Um, if uh, uh, we can stick around, I can tell you guys about uh, my very, very, very pre, uh, prehistoric hacking story when we're done here. And if, <laughs> if anybody wants to hear it, you can email me. But thank you so much, and, and good luck with the program. Uh, I think you guys are doing you, do, you guys are doing great things here. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.